Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with BetStamp. BetStamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With BetStamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download BetStamp for free and use code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, BetStamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about BetStamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He grew up playing for Storm, where he's a provincial champion, a national silver and bronze medalist. He's played for Team Ontario, and at the University of Windsor, he's a two-time OUA bronze medalist. And as we're recording this, he just stamped his way to another Final Four, uh, who will host U of T this upcoming weekend. Please welcome to the show, Anthony DiGeronimo. Anthony, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Excited to be here. So let's get into it from the start. Uh, I know you come from like, a, I guess we could stereotype you guys as a volleyball family, but I'm curious, uh, did you play any other sports growing up or were you kind of peppering with dad in the backyard as soon as you could remember? No, actually, I was a basketball, baseball guy growing up. Um, everyone sort of thinks that uh, my dad would have funneled me into volleyball, but he kind of just let me find my own way. And basketball was my first love and then baseball in the summer. Um I got really lucky though. I had a, a gym teacher in elementary school who was a volleyball fanatic. And so he had, uh, on top of the teams, he had like an in-school house league. He had a, a club going like four or five days a week. So kind of got introduced there and got a ton of touches. And then, yeah, like you said, peppering and a couple, um, couple family members that I can always call on to pepper and kind of got into it from there. Do you remember what age group you started taking volleyball series? Was it right around like 14 when club was a thing? Or were you still playing basketball when you started playing club volleyball? Uh, no. So actually, I started on the beach. Um, it's kind of funny how it started. The only time my dad actually even suggested I play volleyball was um, my, uh, my friend Andrew Jones, who played at York and, uh, then, and played at Douglas College after as well. He and I had tried out for a baseball team that we'd been playing call-up games for the year the year previous, and coach was super excited to have us come out that year, and then for whatever reason, cut us. So all of a sudden, we have the summer free, and my dad suggested that we try a beach volleyball tournament, and so we entered our first tournament, and we won our first tournament, and when you have that kind of an experience to start out, you kind of get hooked. So we played the summer together, and then I tried out for Storm that fall, so that would have been I think that would have been, I would have been a 12 U player on a, no, a 13 player on a 14 U team. Nice. And it, do you remember that beach tournament? Was that an Ashbridge's Bay tournament? It was, yeah. So do you remember just being when blown away, being like, how many courts are here? Like, how many people are here? Like, it's got to be pretty wild not really being in the sport. And that's your first experience. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was super overwhelming, especially because I was almost late to every match because my dad had sort of been out of the sport for a while. And everywhere I turned, he was like, oh, I got to introduce you to this person. I got to introduce you to this person. So um, that part of it was pretty cool for me. And then, yeah, we really didn't know what to expect. And windy, cold day, 14-year-olds that none of us had a ton of experience. And, yeah, just had enough, I guess, that day to win the tournament. So it was, it was a pretty good start for us. Sweet. And did that early success at Storm help get you hooked as well? Because I think you did win your provincial championship pure, uh, pretty young, right? So were you around a pretty talented group and just like winning made it even more fun for you to start out? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and great coaching to uh, my first coach for my first two years was a guy named Steve Ward. He used to do the 14U team for Storm every year. So my first year, I was a younger athlete playing up, um, mostly just a serving sub or defensive sub. And uh, we finished second in the province that year. That was the the age group that had the Pac-Man team that won everything. So I was playing with uh, Nolan and Oliver, Mitch, those guys. And then my next year, so my second year of 14, it was when we managed to win the provincial championship. So that was, yeah, super cool. And obviously a lot of success makes it more fun. You might've been one of the last eras. You didn't play triple ball. You were playing straight up like traditional adult rules when you started. Uh, I think I might've played one or two triple ball tournaments. It might've been around the time when they did that for the first couple tournaments oh, and then nice. switched over. And there the, or the premier division was not triple ball and then everything below was something like that. When you look back at your OVA club group, because obviously your group was really good and the year up was really good. You just look back and laugh about all the guys you played against because you would have played against uh, like a lot of really good Pac-Man team. I think that would have been Shawan and all those guys. But then you got uh, Tariq, you got Dane in playing age group above. And then just even your position group in your age group, I think Sora, Zane Grossinger, you, gosh, I'm forgetting some, the London setter, uh, Josh Sanderson, I think his name was like, there were so many good players in your age group. Was it just fun going to a tournament every weekend and playing against some really top caliber guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was really cool. And then it was really cool too, to see those guys sort of come into the OUA as well and sort of have those relationships. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, getting to match up with York again, playing against Tauheed, like we've been playing against each other since we were kids and our team at Storm, we were always kind of just outside of the top four. Like we were a tough quarterfinal matchup for anybody, but we, we struggled to break through, but uh, we were such a tight knit group from time I was 14 to 18. I think we only changed out two or three players the whole time. So yeah, those, a lot of good memories, just knowing that every tournament was going to be a battle and there were a lot of good players and, and just, yeah, the, the guys I was with, we were going to have a good time battling it out. And with your Timo experience, were you ever a winter games guy or did you miss that year? I'm trying to figure out who's like in your direct birth year. So I'm a 99. So my year was the Canada games year, but I, didn't make that team. I was on Team Ontario the two years prior, so the the right. seventeen U, my seventeen year and my sixteen year. Nice. So I did Canada Cup in sixteen, and then we went to the high performance championships in Florida when I was seventeen U. Yeah. So what was your experience like at Canada Cup? Because that's kind of your first experience. I know you would have played against different cats at nationals, but it's kind of the first time to play against like a stacked provincial team. So did that help convince you you could play at the next level eventually? That just going to a Canada Cup and having to beat up on, you know, BC, Alberta, Quebec, like there's always good teams there, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, uh, I was definitely a late bloomer. Um, so I was physically still pretty small. I honestly wasn't sure that year if I was going to make it to HPC. Um, I felt like I deserved to be there, but I thought it was going to be close. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to know this, but one of the coaches actually admitted to me later on that they took eight setters for the camp and I was ranked seven going in and then they made two teams and I snuck on to the fourth spot. So that was a, that was a big turning point for me for sure. Uh, just in terms of, as I grew up going to watch OUA games, like following the league and always dreamed about playing for sure, but didn't really know if that was a realistic thing for me for a long time. And yeah, like you said, my first exposure to really high-level volleyball and training multiple times a day and doing video sessions and that kind of thing. So the whole experience like not only opened my eyes to what it was all about, but also just made me fall in love with it more and, 
and yeah, like definitely believe that I, I could get there. And just another layer of that, the following summer to go to that tournament in Florida, I think your generation might've been one of the first where Timo actually went to that or second. So you couldn't even like talk to other athletes or coaches about what it was like, cause everybody was new to it. So what, what was that like? Because again, it's just a different level where now nobody's really familiar. You have to get on an airplane. Like it's way different. Like what did you take from that experience? Yeah, definitely. I think we were the first year. Um, and it was such a cool experience, such a cool tournament to see because the older age group was there as well. So we could watch a ton of high level volleyball. The matches were tough. I don't remember exactly how we finished that year. Um, I remember like, there was a team from New Zealand there and we got to see them do the haka before the game. So just little things like that was really cool just to be around that, that kind of sporting event and then the volleyball yeah obviously was super high level i think to be completely honest i was maybe a, a bit outclassed at that tournament i don't think i played very well but um no the experience was awesome and just like getting to sneak onto that team and again the second year i felt like i kind of snuck on and then that motivation to work even harder in 18u to try and make the canada games roster was was big for me because i think it helped me get to ultimately the oua and as you kept climbing the ladder, I know you mentioned you've had a lot of strong coaches. Uh, did your dad ever directly coach you in club? Was he ever the head coach of your team? He did, yeah. So uh, Howie Grossinger took over the team when we went to 15U. And because Zane was the other setter on my team for the first couple of years. And then my dad took over the next year when they left. So it would have been 16, 17, 18. My dad was my head coach. And how did you find the balance there? Because before I had a kid, I used to think like, oh, like kids... Kids shouldn't be coached by their parents. They need a new experience. Where now I'm kind of like, wait a second. If I'm going to be in the gym coaching somebody else's kid, why can't I coach my kid? And I wonder if Jerry had the same feeling. But uh, how did you guys kind of switch that uh, on and off versus like now now we're father-son versus like athlete-coach, right? Because it, it can't be easy to navigate sometimes, right? Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think he did a really good job of it for the most part. Um, I will say that he made it very clear to everyone else in the gym that I was going to get pushed much harder than everyone else. Uh, I don't think I got a single call in a practice scrimmage in all those years. Any close call went against my team uh, to the point where the other guys on my team just knew that if you were on my team, it was going to be much harder to win the drill. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think that was something that I had to be okay with, but I would rather it that way than guys feeling like I was getting any easy break or, or the other way. Um, and I think just it was cool also to to be able to flip the switch, like you said, and like I could even go to him and say, hey, like, I need you to be coach right now. Like, I need you to tell me this. And even now, like, there's days where I'll send him a clip from practice or like a clip from a game and I'll tell him, hey, I, I need you to be coach right now. I need to get your opinion on this. I want to get your thoughts or I just need you to be dad right now. So I think that he did a good job of finding that balance. There were definitely moments where it was tough. but. Um, for the most part, it was a really good experience and something I'm really grateful that I had. Nice. Nice. And you mentioned you were a little bit of a late bloomer, but as you're, you know, achieving this, your club team's doing well, you're playing provincial team. When did the post-secondary thing become an option? Like, did you feel like you were contacting coaches? Was anyone contacting you? Like, how did the recruiting thing go early on? Uh, I think I started pretty early reaching out to coaches because I definitely knew that I wasn't going to be highly, highly recruited. Windsor was actually the only school that reached out to me. And it was because Jimmy L. Turk, who is now the head coach at St. Clair College, used to be an assistant for Gravel at Windsor and is an alumni of the program. And 
he was our assistant coach that first year I made Team Ontario in 16U. So I worked with him um, and he gave my name to Gravel. They were looking for a setter and he reached out to me saying, hey, is this something you're interested in? I'd like to pass your name along. And uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. Truthfully, I didn't know anything about Windsor. I'd never been here before. And so Gravel reached out. I came down for a visit and yeah, it felt like home. Sweet. So there wasn't really anyone else you were considering, like once you did that trip to Windsor, you're kind of like, this is the spot for me. Uh, I was considering other schools, to be honest, the, the academic side was important to me. So there were other schools that I was considering as well. And, and truthfully, I don't, I still don't know if I fully believe that I was capable of playing in the OUA. So I was more thinking along the lines of like, I'll go somewhere for school. If I'm able to get on the team and even just keep playing volleyball as a practice player, that would be awesome. And then when Gravel started showing serious interest in having me on the team, it kind of flipped the switch for me where I was like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can crack a roster and maybe I can try and uh, compete for some time on the court even. Um, and so I think the amount of faith that he showed in me and what he saw in me as well as Jimmy and others, and just got to meet the guys. And there was a really young team at the time. They weren't doing all too great that year, but you could tell there was a lot of pieces and it felt like a good environment for sure. And were you close with the storm team ahead of you? Cause obviously Nolan Langley was already there. I'm wondering, did you reach out to him like a uh, with storm? Like, did you get to play against those guys much in, in inter practices or anything like that? Or were you comfortable to reach out or you were just going through the coaches when you decided that Windsor was the spot? A little bit. Yeah. So my first year of club, I was actually playing up on that team with, uh, with Nolan. So we were teammates for a year. So we know each other for a long time. Uh, I think I did reach out. I talked to a couple of the guys as well who were already on the team who were uh, in engineering just to talk more about the school side of things as well. But I think there was there was a bit of a comfort level there knowing that like Nolan was a guy I really looked up to and respected and I could learn from him and also try and compete for his spot. And so that was definitely something that was, it was exciting for me. So when you get to Windsor, what was your expectation like? Because it's really interesting to hear you talk about, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough, if I can just be like help out a team or crack a roster, that's going to be good enough for me. But my understanding when we had Nolan on the show was you were challenging for a starting spot as soon as you got there. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, I mean, I think it happened really fast for me in terms of the switch of like, I'm just, I just want to play university volleyball anywhere and to the point where it was like, okay, like I can do this. I'm going to try and like I'm a competitive person. Um, if you put me in a, in a in a spot where I have a chance to compete for something, I'm gonna try and try and do my best and try and win that. Um, yeah, I felt like I I felt like I was competing right away. Um, I think I definitely pushed Nolan harder, uh, made him work a little bit, but um, no, he, he definitely did a good job of fending me off for the entire time that I, that we were both there together. But also, he was he was like never. Uh, he was always willing to to mentor as well. Like I remember the first sort of scrimmage we played, he sat down with me and we watched film and talked about the decision making and some of the execution stuff. So uh, I think we had a we had a good balance of that where we could compete really hard against each other and we both wanted to be on the floor, but also we could try and help each other out. Was there ever a moment that uh, it clicked for you and you felt like you belonged in the OUA? And and the one I want to bring up first is. 
Nolan said to ask about the first time you played Queens because he remembers that you started the whole weekend and I think you guys beat Queens in five that year. Uh, was that kind of like confirmation that you could play at this level that uh, coach had trust to start you, but you could also beat a pretty good Queens team in five that year? Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that's a good memory. So I, I started the day before against RMC and I played pretty well and I, I felt pretty comfortable. And so for whatever reason, I got to start the next day again and uh to be honest, I don't remember much about that game. I know we had Pierce on the right. And uh, I think that was because right side was the only ball I could set really well at that point. So I was just feeding Pierce on the right. And yeah, it was a crazy game. It went five. I think the last point, Queens made a dig and then they all just stared at each other and it landed. That's all I really remember, to be honest. But definitely it was confirmation that I could play at that level and and just more confidence and more more motivation to keep working hard. like. I think that was the biggest thing for me was it was just another thing to get me excited to to keep trying to get better. The nation's best are coming to Hamilton. The Marauders are proud to host the 2023 U Sports Men's Volleyball National Championship and will welcome the top men's volleyball teams in Canada to McMaster University. Eight teams, 11 games and only one champion. Secure your spot now and be there to catch all of the action. Your seat awaits. Tickets are available at marauders.ca slash tickets. And how does Coach Gravel instill that in you guys? Because obviously you've uh, developed over your career. Nolan developed over his career. Uh, I would say this to Pierce's face. He went from being like just a normal guy to like player of the year by the end of his career. So the guys who go to Windsor, they might not be highly touted at the time, but when they graduate, man, everybody's improved. So uh, does Gravel kind of breed that us versus them like it, it's nobody's like a first round pick there or is he just so good at developing and it doesn't care that you know you committed to Windsor who cares how many offers you had like what what is the vibe and how does everybody leave there being a better player yeah it's a good question I think he deserves a lot of credit I think he, and I'm definitely biased but I think he's one of the best development coaches in the country for sure and I think the the proof is in the fact that a guy like Moat could play baseball for his whole life and then show up at Windsor and turn into an all Canadian and a pro in, in Germany. And like you said, Pierce could go from just your average volleyball player, albeit a very large and strong one to, <laughs> to player of the year. And uh, I, I think part of it is it, it's changed a little in the time I've been here. Like in my first year, I, th- I think Nolan and Pierce have referred to it as the Island of Mif- Misfit Toys before. <laughs> where uh, we just had a bunch of guys that were sort of thrown together and we're all kind of projects for Gravel to develop. And then towards, towards the end of their careers. And now we're starting to, we're starting to be able to recruit guys and, and get in the room with some of the top recruits. So I think that shifted, but I think, like you said, we've tried to keep that mentality of like, you're here, you're here to get better. You're here to work. And I think because Gravel understands the game so well, he can, he can always see that next level for you and where you have to improve. And, and even if you're getting pretty good, he can sort of say, okay, here's the next level. Let's see if we can get you there. And I think we've had guys as well that have bought into that and just kind of pass that, that mentality and that culture down really well. 
And is that pretty appealing to the way you like to learn, the way you like to develop? Because it's just so hilarious hearing you talk in this interview about like, yeah, I was just happy to be on a squad. I wanted to go to like practice every day where like now you're third in the OUA in assists and it's a decimal point between leading the league in assists this year, right? So uh, how do you gain confidence or keep going to the next level knowing that like maybe there was a time in your career you were just happy to be here and now you're one of the best setters in the league and one win away from going to nationals? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. Um, I'll, I'll spare you my rant on why a sister a dumb stat and don't mean anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I think that I think that it's good for me. I've always just because, like I said, I was such a late bloomer, and every level that I got to, it was sort of like I got there, but maybe I wasn't like I was. I was on the benching club, then I started. And I just barely made Timo, but I didn't kind of feel like I played well or wasn't quite at that level. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can make an OUA team. I always felt like I was kind of catching up. And I think I've definitely got a bit of a chip on my shoulder because of it. And I think because of that, like you said, it, it it plays really well into how I how I want to operate and how I want to learn because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I think I'm just never completely satisfied with with anything, maybe to a fault. But um, the fact that like Gravel is always pushing us every day and, and saying, okay, we've done this. Let's see what we can do if we get a little bit better here or a little bit better there and trying to, trying to never be satisfied with where we're at and, and know that there's more to improve on. And I think that's, that's the exciting part of the game. Like it's such a technical sport that you're never going to play a perfect game. And especially as a setter, like every decision can be put under quite under scrutiny if it doesn't work out. Right. Like it could be a good decision in theory and then it doesn't work out and you start thinking, Oh, maybe I should have gone here. I should have gone here. And so just constantly trying to, sorry, I'm kind of rambling here. No, all good. Just constantly trying to like find, find that those little margins for error and improve them, I think is something that still gets me really excited and I still really enjoy doing. Now, is there any advice you would give to either coach or, or a younger athlete or even just kind of reflect on it? Because, again, learning through this interview, uh, you were in a position battle in club with Zane, another top OUA setter. Um, you were in a position battle with Nolan, basically your, your whole career at Windsor. So as a setter, only one of you could really play because you've always been in like a 5-1 system. But how were you never like the pouty guy where you weren't going to support the other guy? Because it seems like you've coexisted really well and you've actually improved in those situations, even though you weren't getting maybe as many minutes as you wanted to get, right? Because every setter wants to play every point. So how have you managed that where you guys are going to compete and battle for practice, but when they need your thoughts or advice or somebody to talk to, you were willing to do that versus like making it a me versus you in every, every area, right? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. It's a really hard thing to do. And truthfully, I didn't always get it right. Um, I definitely had some stretches where I, I probably was the pouty guy and I wasn't, wasn't happy with the opportunity or lack of opportunity I was getting. And I wasn't happy with, where I was at. Um, and I think looking back now, like that's the only thing I ever regret in my entire career is when I sort of slipped into that mindset of like, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm frustrated with how I'm playing and how I'm not getting on the court. And then I'm, I'm not enjoying the time with my teammates. So I think my advice would just be like, work your hardest to get on the floor, but if you're not on the floor, like this is still the most fun thing you can do. 
So just enjoy where you're at, be with your teammates, enjoy that part of the game. And something I wish I'd done better is really watching the game. Because I, I think when I was in that position on the bench for the first few years of my OUA career, I was kind of watching as a fan and obviously as an athlete trying to stay ready, like keep my body ready to go in case I needed to play. But I think I, I might have, I missed an opportunity to really like watch the game from a tactical perspective where I could sort of learn on the fly and really be engaged in the game that way. So I would say that would be my advice, like really focus on being a teammate and enjoy that part of it if that's your role, but also try and learn in that position because you're in a unique spot where you you have kind of a bird's eye view of what's happening. Definitely, definitely. And another layer of uh, leadership that comes with the setting position that I find fascinating is uh, how do you kind of give everybody what they want, but also still be like the voice of reason? And the example I'll give, because we've had Nolan and Pierce on the show so much, is uh, they were pumping a team and Pierce wanted Nolan to start putting 50-50 balls on top of the net so he could bounce it. And Nolan's like, <laughs> no, that's disrespectful. I'm not going to do that. So here's Nolan, a guy fighting for his own position with you, telling the best player, player of the year, Pierce, no, I'm not going to do that. So sometimes you got to stand up and be like the coach on the court, right? So how have you found that relationship where you're, you're planning the game plan, you're making sure your best players feel valuable, and they're going to contribute but at the same time you're kind of driving the bus yeah i think it's something i'm i'm still trying to get better at every day and i think the biggest realization for me in just this past season and even just this semester has been i've i'm i'm a pretty emotional guy and i've i've always been a pretty emotional player and just trying to get off that roller coaster and like not ride the wave so much and when i kind of keep myself level i'm able to really think clearly and and like you said just just read the situation better and like if this player is asking for this i'm not reacting in an emotional way where i'm like no like we've got to do this we've got to do that this is what i'm doing i can i can really assess the situation better because i'm in a more calm state um, that's been something just recently that i've been really working on and it's seems to be paying off I mean, if one of our middles really wants one call and I'm trying to set something else up in the offense, it, or if you know one of our outsides feel like they're not getting a ton of balls because I mean, we've got weapons on both pins this year, which is fun for me, but it's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, just being more calm for me has been the biggest thing where I can I can really make a smarter decision and make a smarter reaction to that person. Yeah, that, that's, and we also don't have very selfish hitters, which I'm lucky for the most part. For sure. That, that's so cool to hear. So do you have a way to anchor yourself? Do you have a teammate on uh, or a coach on the team who helps you control that a little bit? Like, obviously, it's important to be calm. And I think your decision making is, is awesome, especially when you are calm. But that gets tested. And sometimes like the things are going to get intense, whether it's a home or away match, whether it's a playoff match. So what are some tricks you found to stay calm when like things are really going? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing for me is, I forget where I read this. I read a lot of sports psych books cause it's something I've struggled with a lot in my life and something I've really worked to get better at. But if you smile, even if you do it automatically and force yourself to smile, your brain releases all the same chemicals that it does when you actually smile for whatever stimulates you to smile. So for me, just kind of like taking a step back and like breathing and then just kind of making a joke with someone or, or lightening the mood a little bit. That's something I use a lot. Um, and also just not going into it 
uh, amped up is something I've really found helpful is like we, every team does a lot of yelling or, or jumping up and down before a match. And like, I think it's great for, for certain positions. Like if you're an outsider or a middle and you just need to be firing at 110 the whole time. Um, but I don't think it's the best thing for setters. And so I kind of participate in that, but in my own way where I'm a little more mellow. And if you broadcast that to your teammates, because I imagine if they don't understand what you're trying to do, if we're in a timeout and we're down, whatever, 22, 19, and you're cracking jokes, I'd be like, are you invested? Like, why are you being like the silly guy right now? Like, how have you managed that where like, you're going to try to keep it light and smile versus like still showing them that you're dialed in and intense in that moment? Yeah, I, I think you have to know uh, which teammate to which teammates what's going to work on. So, I mean, for me this year, uh, Zach's a guy that likes to keep it light too. And Steven is always happy. So those are two guys I kind of feed off where I can just sort of look at them. And even if I'm not making a joke, just sort of smile and like give them a high five and say, Hey man, like let's have some fun on this one or something, something like that. Um, whereas, uh, a guy like Gustavo rides a little, little more emotional. And if I, try and uh, make a joke to him in that moment, I might get my head ripped off. So I think it's just knowing your team and and knowing where, where to feed off what energy because guys can be at different energy levels or emotional states and it can all kind of coexist. I think you just kind of have to know how to manage it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Steven and Zach there. How have they fit into your team this year? And, and the reason I, I point them out is they're kind of first years, but they're kind of vets, right? Like you get some late transfers in. So how do they fit into the team where they're going to play a major role, but at the same time, you're still getting to know each other, right? So it's not like, like Zach is like a fifth year player, but he's definitely a first year Lancer. So how do you find the balance of, of making these guys feel comfortable and welcome while still relying on the leadership and stuff they bring to the team? They've been awesome. Yeah, it's it's been super fun to play with them, obviously, but it's also just been super fun off the court. They fit in perfectly. Um, and I think... One thing we've always made a team goal since I've been here is make an effort to hang out with every guy on the team outside of volleyball. Like if, if there's a guy that you maybe don't have a ton in common with, or don't think you have a ton in common with, just say, Hey, you want to grab lunch today? Or you want to go study or whatever that might be just to really make those connections early in the season. And I mean, I think it shows every year. I think it shows that by the end of the year, like we take a lot of pride in how much we care for each other and, and how well we work together as a unit. And, and it seems like our team always, always improves throughout the year, especially in those sort of, um, sort of like synergy, what's the word I'm looking for, connection aspects. Yeah, that's so cool to hear that it happens deliberately, but I imagine it happens organically too with the teams like Windsor because uh, your closest opponent is probably what three hours away. Like it feels like you guys spend a lot of time on the bus or, or eating meals on the road. Like, does that help the team bonding as well? Knowing that like, whether you like it or not, you're going to spend a lot of time with everybody. <laughs> also very true. Yeah. We, uh, this year was a lot of travel. We came out in the second half and we went to RMC, came home next weekend. We went back to Kingston to play Queens, came home. We had two weeks at home and then we had to go to Nipissing. So it's a uh, definitely a lot of bonding time, whether you want it or not. Um, and I think, like I said, making that commitment to to get to know guys is great. But um, yeah, you're definitely forced to. And and we've been lucky in the time I've been here. We've had a lot of really close knit teams that those times 
those times are made a lot quicker by the fact that you're with people you like hanging out with. That, that reminds me, how do you deal with the downtime? Cause it's one thing to hang out with each other. It's another time to get like stuff done when you need to get it done. Or sometimes you just want to be by yourself and talk to family and friends or, or watch Netflix. Right. So even the example I'm thinking of is uh Steven Abrams and I were talking before you came to the York weekend and he's like, surely these aren't both 8 p.m. games. Like, we're going to come up, play you guys at 8, and then we're going to hang around Toronto the whole next day and play you again at 8? Like, why wasn't the second game an afternoon game? And I was like, wow, see, that's a really good point. So what do you do in those situations where there's just, it feels like there was so much downtime for some of these road trips? Yeah, you nailed that that Steve impression too, just with the Shirley part. That was awesome. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a challenge. I mean, I've spent more time in that stupid mall down the street from Brock than I ever want to spend in any mall ever. And cause that's just, that's just where we kill time. And I think it's, I don't know. I don't know if I've mastered that part. It's, it, it sucks either way. And, uh, I was talking to, uh, Darian Koski, who's my roommate this year who transferred from Manitoba. And he was even saying just compared to can West, how much more of an advantage it is to be at home in the OUA for that reason. Exactly. Like, because in Can West, you're flying back the next day. So you always have the hotel for that night and you can spend the day chilling and doing whatever you need to do. You have your own space to nap or stretch or whatever, instead of, you know, killing time at a coffee shop or I, like when we were at York, we, we drove up to Marcus's house, which is still like half an hour more in the bus. And it's, it makes it tougher. And I, it's something I'd never thought of, but when he, when he put it like that, it's like, yeah, obviously being on the road is going to be a disadvantage. You can't, you can't manage your routine the same way. You can't manage your schedule. And it shows, I think like 65% of the time or more this season, the home team won in the OUA. Wow. At first glance, I didn't know that, but I'm not even ahead being like, yeah, there's a lot of teams who were way better at home than on the road and that, that's got to contribute to it. So um, just to touch on your success uh, over your career, but most specifically this season, how did you guys look at the season unfolding? Because I think this year was going to be a coin toss. I think everybody kind of knew there was going to be some teams that were pretty strong. And then the others was just like a, a mixed bag and every and everybody not play. Everybody kind of added a new layer to the season. So uh, were you guys a big goal setting team coming out of the gate? Uh, did you just kind of want to see how it came? Because I think you guys went, what, eight and one first semester and had another hot second semester. So uh, was James kind of talking outcomes or were you guys just kind of going like, let's just win this weekend. Let's win this week. Like how, how do you guys like to divide up the season? Uh, it's been different every year. I think um, Gravel sort of has adapted his philosophies and it also think I think depends on on the group we have, but uh, this year, I don't know if anyone was paying attention, but we stunk in the preseason. We were horrible. And I think it had a lot to do with, like you said, we had new guys that were playing a big role and just figuring out how to work that into the equation. And um, we've had a lot of younger players that have that have come a long way throughout the season and we're sort of still just coming into their own at that point. But the beginning of the season, the conversation was really just not to have any expectation and just to come to work every day, get better at whatever we were trying to get better at that day. And then come game day, just try and do whatever we could to bring our best that day. And whatever the outcome was, that was going to be the outcome, but just know that we were going to bring our best every day of practice and for every game and prepare as like, like professionals. And so that was the focus for the first semester and it worked out pretty well. Uh, and honestly, that's still been the focus for the second semester. Cause like you said, the, the league's been kind of chaos this year. 
everyone's beating everybody. You never, there's no guaranteed wins. Um, and so I think that's helped a lot is just treating every match without expectation of, oh, we're going to win this one or we're going to lose. Like it's, and it doesn't help you. Like just go in ready to fight and, and see what happens. Yeah, I forget. There was one match the last weekend that I think would have thrown a bigger wrench into it. I think Queens beat Waterloo in five. And if they would have lost in five, I think there would have been five teams at 10 and 10, which would have created just a, a mud blood of five ways high. And I think <laughs> two of them wouldn't have made playoffs. Like it wasn't even like a five way tie, but like who's home and away. It was like two of them don't get to play anymore. Yeah, I was rooting for it. I wanted to see it all unfold. <laughs> I just wanted to see chaos. <laughs> amazing so uh, just by doing the show i've been so lucky to talk to a lot of different setters and i want to get your thoughts on this without sharing too much obviously uh i don't want to get in trouble with gravel but uh i'm curious has a game plan ever survived the whole game and what i mean by that is a lot of settings based on feel and what's happening in the moment right and even little things where maybe when you're playing with pierce everybody in the gym knows that guy's going to get the ball but you still got to create one-on-ones for him somehow so how do you like to kind of do the preparation but also know that there's going to be some times to adjust yeah, it's it's a really good question and it's a really deep rabbit hole. Um, to answer your question, has a has a game plan ever survived the whole match? I'm gonna say yes, but not very often. <laughs> and it's like you said, it's it's adjustments and it's it's trying to stay one step ahead. Um, I, I I listened to your episode with uh, Dustin Dustin Schneider and I thought it was really cool him talking about that where he's like, "All right, everyone knows the ball's going to Gavin." Like. <laughs> I don't have to, I've got to find a way to somehow disguise the fact that this guy's going to get 60% of the, of the volume. And we're lucky this year. I mean, anyone who's seen us play, like we've had games where, where different guys have sort of been the go-to and we're able to move it around, which is, is really fun for me as the setter. But um, I think the biggest thing is just not being, not being stuck in the game plan. And like you said, being willing to adjust because to me, that's the most fun part of the game is the chess match. Nice. Well said. Yeah, because obviously as you roll stuff out, most teams are going to counter or they're going to try to hide or adjust something. Right. So it just goes back and forth. So how are you keeping track of it during a match? Are you the guy who likes to take a lead on this? Do you have a coach on the bench being like, hey, are they commit blocking or read blocking? Like, is there certain rotations? Like, how do you like to gather this information? Are you pretty good about tracking it yourself? Or do you maybe ask the other setter on the squad to look for you as well? Yeah, I mean, speaking of, speaking of like playing your role as a second setter, Marcus has been awesome at that this year. Like, kicks my butt in practice every day and then just plays his role perfectly on the bench where he's, he's dialed in. He's giving me feedback. He's telling me what he sees. Uh, we also have our assistant coach. Will is kind of our setter coach. So usually when in timeouts, I'm going back to the bench to sit beside him and, and talk to him and see what he's thinking and um, bounced ideas off him and also see sort of what he's seeing the opposing blockers doing. And Grivel is also seeing it in real time. And if I don't see it, he'll say, Hey, like, that, this is what that guy did here. Um, maybe think think about doing this. Um, I think you always have like a like an A and a B sort of option, like similar to a quarterback. You're like, if this, then that. If this, then that. And then sort of go down the progression. But I think that like seeing it is easy after the fact. <laughs> like you set in, you set the middle, they're in full commit, they get blocked. Okay. Like now I know what they're doing, but we lost the point. So I think, I think the hard part when you're out there is, is to stay that one step ahead. And I think 
I mean, I'm sure there are really great setters in the world that can that can just see perfectly like that. But I definitely rely on a lot of people to to do that job and help me with that. Nice, nice. I'm just looking at the the things I wanted to talk to you about. I'm curious. It's cool. You mentioned how professional you guys feel and the time you put in and the time you spend together. But I'm wondering, has the new gym helped with that? Man, that looks like a professional facility. Oh I haven't seen it in person yet, but did that like put the icing on the cake of what a professional feels like? That you guys want to spend a lot of time there, and it seems like a beautiful facility, right? Unreal. Well, let's both win this week and then you can come see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's spectacular. And it's, it's uh, been a long time in the making. It was, I was promised to me for my third year and, and here we are. I'm, I'm a dinosaur now and I'm finally getting to play it for the first time, but no, it's, it's, uh, it's a great facility in general, but it's also a great volleyball gym. Like it's, it's dark around the outside. It's good for passing. It's good for serving. Uh, it got pretty loud last night, which was fun. Um, that was pretty cool. And just also being able to, to have two courts for practice is, is, is huge because when we had the old gym, uh, we were splitting time with, with basketball and both women's and men's basketball and women's volleyball. And then, uh, track would be in the field house too. So it was pretty chaotic. And now just being able to have our own space, have two courts for practice every day. I mean, we've got a pretty good roster, pretty big roster this year. And, and just being able to accommodate all those guys and get guys the reps they need. And it, it's been such a big difference. And I think it shows. Sweet, man. Well, uh, I've taken enough of your time. It was great to get caught up on your career and just go into the depth of here of how you've turned into a guy who was, uh, lack of a better term, happy to be there to one of the best players in the league. So I'm, I'm glad that you could make the time. But uh, I was hoping you could share one more story before we let you go where something odd or funny has probably happened along the way. And you can give us a bit of a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, for sure. I got two. So, cause the first one's kind of more of a one-liner. <laughs> so, uh, the first one I was playing at Asa in my 12th grade year and, uh, and two of my buddies from club on the left. And then the rest of the roster was just kind of filled out with some friends and, and, and some athletes that were, didn't really have a volleyball background. And so our right side is, uh, to this day, one of my best friends, he was a hockey guy and his job was to not make errors, serve in when the ball comes to you, do something good with it. And then the three times a game I set you to just try and score and keep them honest. <laughs> and he did a really good job of it too. And he was a great athlete. He was one of the best athletes at our school. And so we're playing this team at offside. I think it was Regopolis. I can't remember for sure. And they had this one guy on the other side who's a bit of a mouthpiece um, and calling out hitters and just being really loud. And, and my buddy Eric always never really understood that part of the game where you're like, calling out where the other guys are on the other side. He always thought it was pretty amusing. And so we're lined up in rotation six. So I'm, I'm pushed up to the net with him. And this guy's right in his face yelling, backhands, three swings, no right side, no right side, ignore the right side, Back three swings, no right side. And my buddy just like completely deadpan, just holds his hand out and goes, hi, I'm Eric. I play right side. <laughs> I just thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The guy did not know what to do with him, right? Just this hockey guy. What is this hockey player doing? Holding out his hand to shake my hand through the net. <laughs> um, anyway, and the second one, um, in my first year when we were playing in Final Four, I believe it was our semi against McMaster. And we, uh, a lot of the time when I went into play, in my first year was as a blocking sub for Nolan. If we had, you know, Brad at the line or one of our big servers and we wanted to make sure we got a few steals, 
I'd go in, block, and set if needed, and then uh, come back out. And so Nolan's in the front court. Gravel kind of turns to the end of the bench and looks at me and goes, get warm. And, like, the wheels just start spinning. Like, I'm amped. I'm about to go play in a Final Four match. I'm so excited. I'm jumping up and down. I'm getting warm. I'm not, like, seeing or hearing anything that's happening around me at this point. I'm just ready to go. And this is, uh, this is back when we still use the paddles for substitutions. And so I'm just like bouncing up and down, ready to go. A couple of points go by and Gravel just kind of turns around and, and like waves at the end of the bench and says, go. And so I just take off like a shot. And our, our assistant coach uh, at the time, Sean Ryum, is holding out the paddle. And I run right by him. And as I'm about to grab the paddle from him, he just pulls it like a quarterback, <laughs> like pulling the hand off. And so I'm now standing at the attack line, down refs looking at me, Gravel's looking at me, Sean's looking at me like, what is going on? And I'm looking at him like, what the hell, dude? Like, give me the paddle, I'm going in the game. And then I see one of our other guys just meandering up the sideline <laughs> and he takes the paddle. And then I noticed the number on the paddle and it was the serving sub we've been making every set for the last four matches. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd gotten so focused on the fact that I was going to go in this game that I hadn't realized what rotation we just ended up in and that it wasn't me that was supposed to be going. So I had to take the ultimate walk of shame back to the end of the bench. And all the guys were pretty uh, <laughs> pretty cracked up about that. That's so amazing. Didn't end up playing in that match, but that was a, that was a bit embarrassing. I know the Windsor guys are, are good at clipping video. Did everybody clip that and send it to you? You know what? I don't know if we have that. It might have been, uh, it might have been out of the shot. It was in the Burridge gym. I might have like just been out of the shot. I'm Lucky. not sure. Lucky. <laughs> I gotta go back and find it though. <laughs> Did James let you live it down? Did he think it was funny? Or after the game, he's like, "Don't ever do that again." <laughs> oh, he thought it was hilarious. He was like, "You're trying to sub yourself in." <laughs> yeah, I thought if I could beat him to the spot, I was gonna get subbed in. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty funny. Oh man. And then they did away with the paddles, which is a shame. <laughs> for sure, for <laughs> sure. Well, Ellie, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. Best of luck, like I said, one win away from going to nationals and, and capping off a really great career. So thanks for joining the show and sharing all that you did. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Good luck to you as well. <laughs>